Third and fourth, ladies, there's still time to register for the IF gathering. It is taking place here on those dates. Uh, you can register online. You can see Britta Brown after the service or Kaylee after the service. Well, you probably won't find Kaylee. I think she's going to be with our little ones. But uh, we know that the IF gathering has connected women in ways that uh, we haven't necessarily been able to do otherwise. So hopefully you'll be able to, to plug in and be part of that this year, uh, March 3rd and March 4th. For more information, check the website. You can sign up online as well. Uh, I want to do something this morning. I don't know that I was thinking about this. I don't know that I've, I, I haven't actually. I've never been um, in a position where a staff person has had a child while I've been working with them. And uh, this morning, Pastor Tom and Jessica are worshiping with us from home. And uh, little Regina came into the world last week. She's doing well. And uh, he anticipates being back in worship with us next week. But I want to just pause for a moment and pray for Pastor Tom and his family and for this little one that God has entrusted to them. Uh, so if you join me in that, let's pray for Pastor Tom and Regina and Jessica and the Holland family. Father, thank you for the gift of life and for Regina, who has embodied that. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would be present in ways that Tom and Jessica can palpably see today. As they worship with us this morning from afar, that they would know the community of the body of Christ and the spirit of the living God. And Lord, that you would guard this little one's heart and her mind. Jesus, that she might grow in wisdom and stature as she's presented to you for service all the days of her life. And Father, that she might know nothing but your grace. Bless them today and every day in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a chance, you'll probably see them out and about somewhere. Take a moment and say hello and congratulate them. Uh, notes and cards. I know that you've prayed for them for a while. I'd encourage you to continue that. Uh, if you've had children, you know that um, it's exciting. It's also terrifying. <laughs> and uh, to bring in a fourth one into the world, man, you know, it's, uh, it's a gift. But there's probably no sleep in the Holland house right now. I don't know how you, I don't know, I'm past that phase. Now everybody sleeps, so it's great. But uh, I am sympathetic and, um, you know, Pastor Tom won't be actively preaching for a few weeks. Next week we have a special man who's called by God to do great things, uh, who's going to share the word with you. It's Andrew Lindstrom. Uh, he'll be preaching next Sunday. He's our youth leader here at Bemis Point and um, does a wonderful job with the youth ministry. But uh, He'll be bringing the word next Sunday as well. So before we go any further, I want to just... Um, give you a little bit of a backdrop. We're going to be looking at the Gospel of John, and it's the end of the story uh, from John's vantage point. And it, it's going to do a couple of things, I think. But the first thing I want to kind of call to your attention is the fact that we all need grace. Amen? And it's grace that not only gives us the forgiveness of sin, but it's grace that gives us the Holy Spirit to flee from sin. And we're going to capitalize on our cultural movement today and look at the Super Bowl just for a moment. I, I, oh, there was audible groans from a diehard Bills fan. 
This morning, uh, when I walked into Park Church, I, I stopped there on my way over and pray, and uh, a gentleman was walking in, and he was wearing a Tom Brady jersey. And I said to him, oh, that's just terrible. <laughs> and he said, well, you know, it's appropriate to wear on Super Bowl Sunday because Brady knows what Super Bowls are like. And I was like, ooh, that's true. But, you know, uh, in, all, in all, I mean, just to, to level the playing field, I don't care who wins or loses today. Uh, I'm going to root for the Eagles. Don't throw anything at me. I'm going to root for the Eagles because of a, of a local boy. Um, but, you know, 200 million people are going to be watching this game. Probably 200 or so of them are gathered in the room right now. 200 million people. There'll be 80,000 fans in attendance. They estimated that... Uh, 103 million people are going to throw a party. Wow. 17.8 million are going to watch it at other locations. You want to guess how much money is going to be spent on food, drinks, apparel, and decorations for today? 16.5 billion dollars on one game. At one moment in time, that the vast majority of people who watch it will not know who won it next year. <laughs> True story, right? Who won the Super Bowl last year? If it wasn't the Bills, do we really even care? You know, um, as we look at three key words today, we're going to look at what it is to be a fan, what it is to be a fanatic, and what it means to be a follower. And I think the sports backdrop helps us to understand that a little bit better. And I want to give you a couple of definitions. A fan is a person who has a strong interest in or admiration for a particular person or thing. Does that make sense? How many of you are fans of something? You don't have to say football, but fans of something. Okay. Uh, there's some fans out there. A fanatic, a fanatic likewise, is someone who is filled with excessive and single-minded zeal. Any fanatics out there? You're like, wait a minute. That sounds like a negative. Well, I mean, fans, you know, they, they cheer for their, their, their local whatever they're cheering for. They might even know some of the players, but they typically at, at events, you know, they're kind of following the crowd's lead. They're not the guy up front leading things. They're the ones when you cheer, they all of a sudden cheer about a second too late. You know who I'm talking about. The fanatic is the one that hosts the party, that watches the game with intentionality. They even plan their bathroom visits around timeouts. They wear gear or regalia. They cheer and yell before something happens because they've learned to anticipate the great things. And they know the names of players, coaches, and many of the stats. Now, some of you are thinking to yourself, that's me, or I know a guy like that, right? Well, there's one more category we're going to look at today, and it's the follower. Some of you are followers also. Listen, I've seen your Bill's Mafia stuff. You will travel great distances to be with your team. You'll set up shop before the game starts for hours to celebrate. You might even be the one going through a table. You never know. Follower 
as Webster defines, is someone who is devoted to a particular person, cause, or activity. Followers wait to see their players up close and personal so they could maybe even touch them or get an autograph. Followers are sold out. You can see where this is going, can't you? The amount of emphasis we put on sports in our culture is huge. I want to challenge you today to identify clearly where it is that you are. Are you a fan? Are you a fanatic? Or are you a follower? And not just of the Bills, but of Jesus. Have you surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus? And I think there's a few things in Scripture that will help you to answer whether you have or not. Before we go there, I want to pray for you again. God, thank you for each person that you have gathered together in this space for your church. God, may they know today that they are of sacred worth. May they know today that, that they are chosen to be on your team. May they know today that the past doesn't have to define the future. And that with you, grace abounds. So Lord, take us from where we were to where you would have us be. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd invite you to turn with me if you have your Bibles with you to the Gospel of John. It's one of my favorite, I say that probably every week, don't I? I guess it's because I was studying it this week. But this really is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. There's so much stuff going on. And um, when, when we decided on this as our text, it, there's just there's something here. And I think there's something here for all of us. Uh, so whether you are a Christian or not, this text is for you. And if you have been a, a follower of Jesus all your life, then this text is for you also. And uh, so I want to just, just dive into the word. It's John's Gospel, chapter 21, beginning with verse 15, and we're going to carry that to the 19th verse. And um, you should probably get a little bit of a backdrop. So Jesus is preparing for the final kind of, this is it. He is resurrected from the dead, and he's going to appear to the disciples and to others, and the other Gospels are going to record some of that. And the Acts of the Apostles is going to tell that narrative in greater detail as we go forward, as the early church moves forward. Now, uh, Peter, what do we know about Peter besides the fact that he was a pumpkin eater? Peter, guys, come on, wake up. Come on. That was funny. Yeah, that was. Thank you. Uh, Leslie, my wife, would tell you, don't laugh because he just keeps on going if you do. Peter is one of the disciples that many people can associate with. They're like, I'm kind of like that guy. He's the one that said some really crazy things at times, right? He's the one that, that said he was, he was lit on fire, right? He's like, Jesus, I will die for you. Well, uh, when he said that in Matthew's gospel, chapter 26, uh, 
Jesus said, actually, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows twice tonight. And I wonder how that exchange took place. I wonder what Peter felt. We have to kind of infer that through the text, but I know how I would have felt. I know how maybe some of you would have felt if, if you were like, yeah, we're going. Remember, this is right after Peter had cut the guy's ear off with a sword. I don't know how good you are with a sword, but I can't cut a guy's ear off with one. So he did. He had zeal for the Lord. He was on a crusade to make the people of God rulers again. Remember what the Lord said to him after he lopped the dude's ear off? Have I come that you might form a rebellion against me? Put away your swords. Stop this. Jesus rose from the dead, performed a miracle, and then he says this. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Jesus answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Before I tell you the end of that, I wonder, I wonder what Peter was thinking in that moment. You know what it means when he says he stretched out his arms, right? There was another guy whose arms were stretched out. His name was Jesus. There was another guy who was dressed by others, well, undressed by others, actually. I wonder what Peter's like, thought process was right there. We don't have, we don't really have that. But the 19th verse says, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God, underline that word. And then he said to him, follow me. And I'd encourage you to underline or highlight that word if you're using your phone or your tablet. The invitation from God is always to follow me over and over and over again. I want to go back to the beginning and uh, just share a little bit about things that we know about Peter, uh, and then we'll look at our own lives a little bit. Peter was a fan of Jesus, right? Remember, he was one of the, the early ones that was called by Jesus. He left his life of fishing and followed him, and he was excitable in the beginning. Peter was the one that inquired about things that others didn't inquire about. Peter was also the one, as we already shared, that 
denied the Christ when things got a little bit murky. I've been challenged with that this week, with where I am in my walk with the Lord. And I want to share a couple of quotes by uh, Kyle Eidelman, who wrote a book, well, he's written a couple of books, but one of them is titled, Not a Fan. And uh, he says this, he says, the biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christians, but aren't actually interested in following Jesus. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. I didn't like it when I read that. Because I can see myself in that a little bit at times. I can see the old man coming back into the picture at times. So I wonder, you know, we use rhetorical questions to kind of prompt the thinking and to give you something to think about moving forward from today. And if you ponder one thought from today's message, what is it that is competing your allegiance to Christ? What is it that's competing with your allegiance to Christ? Why aren't you following? Wednesday at 11.30 a.m. in Wilmore, Kentucky. Go Wildcats, right? In Wilmore, Kentucky, history is being shaped again. Revival has broken out on the campus of Asbury University again. It most recently happened in the year 1970 in the exact same place, across the street actually. People like you and I were in chapel, young men and young women, worshiping the Lord. And what took place after that has continued around the clock. I read a bunch of different um, first eye and bird's eye views of what's taking place to try to wrap my mind around it because I've prayed for revival. And revival is when we experience the presence of God in a way that transforms us from where we were to where God would have us to be. One of the first places you read about revival took place in the beginning of Acts when the disciples were gathered together in the upper room and they were praying, they were actually really afraid, but they were praying as the Lord had told them to do. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit came upon them and they were overwhelmed with joy. And as you start to read the accounts of what's taking place in Wilmore, it's around the clock. It's spilling out into the community. If you've ever been to Wilmore, it's not a really big community. I mean, it's about the size of Sinclairville, to be frank. I mean, they got a bad Chinese restaurant and a subway when I was there. I mean, there's not a whole lot of stuff going on in the middle of nowhere. And there's lots of white picket fences and these crazy horses. But there have been people praying for revival. And I don't know what makes God move at certain times and not at other times. 
But I know that a whole bunch of people have been touched by the Spirit of God. And it's not like this, I don't know what your mind goes to when you think of revival. Maybe you have like a Pentecostal movie in your mind of craziness. There's some of that, I guess. But the over and over firsthand stories say there's a sense of peace that is palpable when you walk into the building. One uh, student said, I've been praying for revival in our country. And they were there from Mount Vernon University. And he said, very clearly the Lord told me, take this back to where you are. You see, revival is where the people of God experience the presence of God in a way that they never forget where their lives are changed. One person said about revival, we should draw a circle. We should draw a circle on the ground for where revival is going to begin, right around yourself. And it goes out from there. They said they were bringing in buses of people now who wanted to go and be part of what God was doing in little tiny Wilmore. I'm sure that the end result of this, I mean, I have read about these things in history a lot. In fact, it was Len Sweet who was a Methodist clergy person who, uh, he was actually a DS, I think, in the Methodist church. He pastored a church here in western New York for a while um, and moved into the seminary at United. But it was Len Sweet who uh, did some work on revivals, and he said there were three things that were present in all of the revivals in history. There were other things as well, but three primary things. The first thing was the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. The second thing was uh, a willingness to be moved by the Holy Spirit, which requires you and I to relinquish our rights to ourselves and to relinquish control for the Lord to use us as he will. And the third was the primacy of Scripture. Scripture was the backdrop to everything. They understood the Word of God to be just that, the Word of God, alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. And so as people of God, as we start to assess our relationship with the Lord, we need to ask some questions and be sober about that. Where am I in my walk with you? Am I a fan? Do I show up to the game once in a while? You know, do I cheer with my friends? Do I come to church? Do I celebrate what God is doing? And do I walk out the doors and not remember what just happened? Jesus never invited somebody to be a fan. Maybe, maybe like Peter, you've experienced the transition because it's a process, typically. Maybe you've experienced transition like Peter where you've gone from fan to fanatic. Where you'll defend the cause of Christ no matter who's around and you'll, be, you'll have zeal for the Lord. But you lack the power that comes from a humble walk with a risen Savior. Remember, Peter denied Jesus three times. There's a lot of stuff going on in this little text. But I think one of the reasons that Jesus, as only Jesus can do, asked him three times was to let Peter know that he knew all along about it. 
and he still loved him. You see, God always restores us into a perfect relationship. It's called grace. It's that crazy love that God gives us, you and me. Jesus told Peter what would happen after he followed him. Church history tells us, the Bible doesn't tell us how Peter died, but church history tells us that Peter was crucified. Remember how he was crucified? This is worth bonus points. Upside down. Talk about a headache. I mean, that's probably the least of his concerns, right? Was he even concerned, actually? I don't think so. Everything that the Lord says comes true. Every time. We don't have, we don't, we can't, we can't mix that up. Right? It's not that some of the things that God says are true or, you know, most of the things that God says are true. It's all of the things. And when we relinquish our lives and follow him, we experience the peace that they're talking about in Wilmore right now. Don't take my word for it. Read the Collegian. You'll hear the firsthand witnesses about what's happening on a little tiny university campus in the sticks, essentially, right? It's out there. Wilmore is not a really populated or popular place. But it's a place where God has moved in the past. I want to share with you a video. I like the skit guys. They do a nice job of capturing a little bit of humor with an element of grace and truth. And I want to, before we show the video, so hold on one second. Before we show the video, I want to invite you to a time of just kind of silence. Are you a fan right now? Where are you? You know, you're going to cheer for the Lord and celebrate the Lord, but you're not all in. Are you a fanatic? Are you one who's, you know, you know all the stats. You've read your Bible and you are faithful in your tithes and your offerings. But you lack the power. You know, as Brennan prayed for us to be filled, he prayed that we would be filled to overflowing. Followers have something to give. Fans and fanatics are taking things. Father, thank you for meeting us in a difficult position where, like Peter, we know where we have denied you and wandered away. And thank you for being gracious in that moment of reconciliation when you restore us into right relationship with you. Father, I pray for those gathering this morning who maybe are 
still struggling with identity, with purpose, with joy, with peace. I pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to them in ways that are palpable. Where we can testify the Spirit of God is moving in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Check out this video. Grace is God's unmerited favor for us, his crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. Jesus, is you? You're alive. I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord. And you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. This is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on. Peter, yeah. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good, then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? I love you. Yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster clucking. I had no idea what that meant, but I do not. I'm better for it. All right. Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. That is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, Yeah. do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And she said that there was an angel there. And the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. And so me and John, we hightailed it down there. And if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there and I'm looking in that tomb and it is, it is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait, yeah. the angel said what? Uh, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. This he is said okay. what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No, What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. 
It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. Maybe that resonates with you. I want to read immediately after Jesus said, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Peter didn't quite get it yet either. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're desiring, but you're not quite there. I want to encourage you to just keep walking. One day at a time, one moment at a time, and allow the grace of God to transform you from the inside out. So that like Peter, you might be able to say to the lame man, get up and walk. And when questioned about why you did this, all of a sudden you'll know it wasn't me. This was Jesus of Nazareth. I want to pray for you, church. Father, thank you for grace. For your crazy love, as we heard. Your unmerited favor. That grace that not only leaves us in our broken and depraved state, but that grace that transforms us and purifies us from all ungodliness. The power. Lord, thank you for your church. As they rise today and prepare to leave this space and go out into the the world that you have created for us, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be leading them so that they too might be able to say, I'm following that guy. And Lord, that they might experience the joy that comes from knowing you and being known by you. In Christ's name. Amen. Do you stand and join us in our closing song this morning?